0: everyone, and welcome to Meetups with Mediators, a podcast brought to you by the Columbus Bar Association. I'm your host, Veronica Cravener. This is a podcast for both mediators and attorneys who represent clients at mediation. The goal is to provide takeaways to make your next mediation your best mediation. Today's topic is a technique called compassionate curiosity. So why do we care about compassionate curiosity? Well, Whether you're an attorney or a mediator or both, chances are you've had a mediation result in no agreement, at least in part because one side just didn't like the other side. And if you've ever left that sort of situation shaking your head thinking, geez, what could I do differently next time? This episode is just for you. Today, I'm thrilled we have corporate attorney and mediator Kwame Christian as our guest. Kwame is going to talk about a technique he calls compassionate curiosity and how it can be used as a way to build rapport between parties in a mediation to hopefully increase the odds of settlement or at least minimize the chances of a mediation falling apart because one side just doesn't like the other side. So with that, Kwame, let me welcome you to Meetups with Mediators. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Thanks for being with us.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So just so that our listeners have a sense of your background, can you tell us how did you get your start in mediation?
1: So like you said, I'm an attorney and um, I have an affinity for negotiation and conflict management. And I think that's because my background academically is in psychology. And so when I discovered negotiation in law school, it was like finding, um, well, I should say operationalizing psychology for a business or legal purpose. So I was trying to figure out ways to incorporate that into my profession. And um, when I thought about mediation, I thought that was the best way to go about doing it because it gave me the opportunity to put myself right in the middle <laughs> of conflict um, because I get to see both sides of the story. And it's fun for me. And I get to help people to um, kind of move on with their lives and help build relationships as well, or at least not destroy them. So that's why I found myself in mediation.
0: And that's really interesting that you've got this psychology background. And I imagine, you know, that comes in handy every time you do a mediation. Uh, Can you give our listeners a sense of, you know, what are the types of disputes or issues that you see in mediation?
1: Um, it's, it's a pretty diverse range. Uh, so one of the things that we see uh, often are, um, rent escrow mediations where uh, a tenant has a problem with a landlord and they stop paying the landlord directly and they pay directly to the court. And, um, so it's the landlord and tenant trying to work that problem out. Sometimes it's business disputes where the, um, the client and the service provider, they see things differently, or there was a payment issue. Um, We're trying to figure out what's going on on the contract side because there's a lawsuit. And then I guess the other one that comes up a lot would be somebody's indebted to somebody else. There's a delinquent payment, and we're trying to figure out a a payment plan.
0: So it sounds like you've got a real range of of experience and the types of issues that you've seen in mediation. And I imagine the types of scenarios where you've been able to Leverage this technique of compassionate curiosity, um, and I have to say, you know, I want to fill our listeners in. Um, Kwame and I are frequently talking about mediation technique, and and so it's a real thrill to have you on the show today. And uh, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is, you know, before I heard you talk about this technique of compassionate curiosity. You know, I used to think about when I would think about a mediation and what's going to impact the outcome of a mediation. I used to really think about two main elements. So, you know, first I used to think about, okay, well, how far apart are the parties' positions? And then second, I used to think about, okay, well, what are the proposals that are on the table and have parties made a proposal, you know, that – has that opportunity for mutual gain, right? What we, what we read about in a lot of the, the mediation and negotiation books. And it was after listening to you talk about compassionate curiosity that I really came to realize, hey, there is this third element that is just as important and sometimes more important than the first two of party rapport. And, you know, I know you talk about compassionate curiosity as really a technique to help parties build rapport with one another, and probably also for the mediator to use to build rapport with the other side um, in an effort to, you know, keep the mediation productive and hopefully increase odds of settlement. And so, you know, just so that our listeners can kind of pick your brain a little bit, um, can you tell us how do you define compassionate curiosity?
1: Yeah. And I've been trying to figure out a good way to define compassionate curiosity. And there's a big part of me that is holding back on (laughs) creating a semantic definition because I think imagery can be more powerful at times. And so we've done this experiment between ourselves a a number of times, but I'll, I'll let the audience kind of play along a bit. So imagine, close your eyes and imagine somebody who is compassionate and who comes to mind. And What's crazy is that every time I ask this question, no matter who it is, um, no matter where in the world they are, they always say the same person, and it's Mother Teresa. Everybody that, says Mother that's Teresa. That's exactly who I always think of. That's exactly who I always think of. So that's the compassionate person. So think about an image of Mother Teresa. Now curiosity. That's asking questions. That's getting inquisitive about the situation of the other person. And so we want to focus as much as possible on open-ended questions or what I could, or what I call open-ended statements. And those would be things like, tell me more about blank or help me understand blank. So they don't end in a question mark, but they are still requests for information. And so, in those situations, especially when you're not exactly sure what to say, um, compassionate curiosity, I believe, can be used to fill those gaps. And so the imagery we want to create is if Mother Teresa was sitting in your position right now, what would she say <laughs> to get the other side talking? What open-ended question would she ask? And just keeping that Im- imagery in your mind helps you to adjust your tone and helps you to focus on the both substantive and emotional needs of the other person. And, um, when I, when I negotiate and when I mediate, I'm primarily concerned about making sure that the person is in the proper cognitive state. Um, you and I both are parents of two-year-olds and we know that it doesn't really matter what you give a two-year-old or what you say to a two-year-old if they are in the throes of a tantrum. You can't stop so it. So
0: true.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. And so my goal in mediation is I want to recognize their emotional state and lead them to a, a place where they are emotionally and psychologically receptive to an offer before we even start to address the substance.
0: And I mean, I think that imagery is just very powerful because, you know, since I've learned this technique from you, I'll tell you, I think of that Mother Teresa image and that um, just changes my tone of voice and how I ask questions that it's just it's very compelling, I think, in a mediation. Um, can you talk about, I mean, how do parties respond when you use this technique in a mediation?
1: They typically respond pretty well, uh, and sometimes I, I think the worst possible response I've ever gotten, which is not that bad, is just kind of <laughs> confusion, like, what, you're asking me these questions? You care about this kind of stuff? It's like, yeah. I remember um, one time in a mediation, um, somebody, I mentioned that I was an attorney, and the guy responded with surprise, and I get that all the time. And <laughs> they're like, oh, you don't seem like a <laughs> like a lawyer. So I'm like, uh, thank you? Is that good? Um, but then when I tell them I have a background in psychology, they're like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. And so sometimes they're just a little bit surprised because when they come into these mediations, they assume that it's going to be very, very technical, very stuffy, um, a little bit scary. Um, the majority of people who come in, especially when they're unrepresented, they've never been in mediation before, so they don't know what to expect. And so it helps to um, alleviate some pressure and tension uh, that could be that they're probably feeling. And I think that helps helps them to be in a more receptive state when it comes to discussing the the issues that are at hand.
0: And that's really interesting. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, parties may come to a mediation thinking this is a formal process, that this is just like being in a courtroom. And mediation doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it's meant to be a more informal process. And it sounds like compassionate curiosity is, is a technique that among the many benefits, I mean, can be used to just sort of alleviate any concerns that folks may have at the beginning. That, you know, even though you're a mediator, you're a neutral third party, you don't have to stop being human. Exactly. Right. I mean, you can show concern, you can show empathy, you can show interest in, in someone else's point of view. And, and that doing so, it sounds like actually helps the parties build rapport with you as a mediator. Mm-hmm. And, and, and additionally, build trust in the process.
1: Right. And I think that's key because if if they don't trust the process, they're not going to be willing to commit. Um, If they don't trust you, they're not going to be willing to share. And as a mediator, it's going to be really important for you you to develop trust um, and rapport with both sides because that free flow of information will help you to help them to create um, creative deals that serve both of their interests.
0: Okay. And so now I'm sort of curious, you know, with this technique of compassionate curiosity, I mean, say, you know, an attorney wants to use this technique in the course of their representation of their client with the other side. I mean, does using this technique require one side to make concessions or to agree with the other side's position?
1: No, and, and I think that's, that's a really great question because I'm, when I'm Thinking about using this technique, a lot of times it's not directly addressing the substance. It's not, it's not anything coming from me. My goal is to get something out of them. And so the goal with compassionate curiosity is to get them in the right mental state and then to also give them the opportunity to share because that's cathartic. And then also that information makes my job easier because it helps me to create deals that are, that work for both sides. And so one of the things that's difficult is empathizing with somebody and acknowledging the legitimacy of emotions without co-signing on their interpretation of the facts or the situation. And that's a difficult line to walk because you don't want somebody to say, yeah, the mediator agreed with me. Um, the mediator said you should do this and that type of thing because we're supposed to be neutral. Um, but at the same time, you want to develop trust. And so it's important to understand your role in in this process, first of all, before utilizing the technique. And so when I get somebody to share their information, they might say something like, oh, I'm so mad at my landlord because he's doing this on purpose, he's evil, he's terrible, and that is not the worst thing we've heard. <laughs> I would say, well, thank. first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. That helps me to understand the situation, and I can understand um, where you're coming from on this. And then I would follow that up with another open-ended question.
0: Okay. So it sounds like it's more of a technique that can be used to show appreciation mm-hmm. to the other side, that you've heard what they have to say that you understand it, but you don't have to necessarily agree with them in using this technique. You don't have to make any sort of concessions on your own side. Exactly. But it's a way to show that appreciation to keep the conversation productive so that you don't run the risk that, hey, things fall apart just because the other side thinks you're a jerk. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, I I know we talked about at the beginning your psychology background, and I'm sort of curious, can you talk about to our listeners... From a psychology standpoint, I mean, what is our natural reaction to conflict?
1: <laughs> so our, we have um three automatic fear responses. Um, to, well, first of all, it's fear. That's typically how people respond. Even if you're a seasoned professional in this, when you feel threatened, you can't help but feel fear at some level. And that's because we're... Animals <laughs> at our core, you know, um, we have these built in responses. And so there are three responses, fight, flight or freeze. So fighting, that's obvious. We respond with combat, combat um, flight. That's we avoid the problem, try to run away. Um, in mediation, you can't physically run away. I mean, I guess you can. It's never happened to me. <laughs> but, um, it, it, that one manifests itself in, in the form of evasion. Um, and then similarly, freezing, that's the deer in headlights response. And so in that, in that situation, somebody might stonewall you and try to, um, maybe not actively avoid you, but just kind of sit there and, and accept what's happening or just not give any movement, but you're not getting much from them. Um, and you can see how all three of those responses are unproductive <laughs> when it comes to trying to reach reach agreement or even before agreement, um, develop some level of mutual understanding. And so that's why it's important to have an, an understanding of the way that you respond and the responses of others, because now understanding that I I can see it, And I say, okay. before we move on to the substance, now I need to back it up a little bit and make this person feel comfortable so I can get beyond that fear response. And compassionate curiosity, I think, is the tool that I can use to get people comfortable in order for us to be able to move on eventually to the substance.
0: So instead of the knee-jerk reaction of fight, flight, or freeze, it sounds like you sort of Advocate for the use of compassionate curiosity as a fourth response that it may not come naturally to us but it's something that with practice we can learn to incorporate when faced with conflict, like for example in mediation.
1: Absolutely. It's, it, you need to develop the habit and it takes time. It'll be very uncomfortable at first. And the term you use, knee jerk reaction, that's, that's, I think that's really indicative of what we're dealing with because it's reflexive. Um, with the fear responses, we're dealing with the most primitive part of the brain in the limbic system. We're talking about the amygdala that causes us to respond very quickly to threats. And we need to learn how to recognize that initial impulse to respond quickly and slow down. And so pacing when it comes to difficult conversations is really important because if we try to flow too quickly, we will respond like the animals we are. <laughs> so we need to use the most evolved part of our brain, which is the prefrontal cortex. And that's where we have higher level thinking. And so that's when we slow down and actually think through the the situation and our response. Um, that's where you can use the compassionate curiosity.
0: Okay. Well, I I think now's a good time to uh, play a little game. If you've listened to our first episode, you know that I'm a fan of of playing games. And so I've come up with a game that I've entitled, That's So Curious, to have (laughs) Kwame sort of demonstrate how he uses this technique of compassionate curiosity. So Kwame, I'm going to give you three different hypotheticals. And at the end, I'll ask you, how would you use compassionate curiosity in that situation? So are you ready?
1: Ready to go. Okay, okay.
0: So how about uh, hypo number one? So let's say you're in caucus in a mediation and you're talking to a mediation party and they have just accused you, the mediator, as being biased towards the other side. How would you use compassionate curiosity in that situation?
1: The timing of this could not have been any better because this happened to me two days ago in mediation. So I'll tell you exactly what I did. Um, One of the things that I like to do is beforehand, I I try to develop as much rapport as possible with the other side. And so it's a really, by the end of the mediation, it's a pretty comfortable relationship that I have with the other party. So even when they they throw uh, an accusation that's so damning at me, (laughs) my response was to laugh and say it's funny that you say that because Veronica and I were having this exact conversation earlier in the morning and parties always accuse us (laughs) of being on somebody else's side. So it's not surprising that you say that, but the thing is they are saying the same thing about me with regard to you. So that just means I'm doing a good job. And so, um, first of all, with that response, it's, uh, in, in that situation, I had a good relationship, so I didn't need to, to utilize the technique, but it's important to see that I lean into what they're saying. So I don't try to deny what they're seeing. So if, if somebody says, I see a ghost, my first response isn't going to say, I, there's no ghost there. Because now we're getting into a fight about things that they clearly feel like they're seeing. Perception is reality. So I'm going to allow that reality to exist for you, but let you know that it's okay. Um now, if it were with somebody else that I didn't have that level of rapport, if it, if I were going to use compassionate curiosity in that situation, I would say, "Oh, um, can you tell me a bit more about uh, why you're saying that? And so again, that's an open ended statement doesn't end in a question mark, but it requests information, and so th- it'll get them talking. My goal is to get them to talk and it's I think about it almost like a pressure cooker. You know, as you allow somebody to talk, it, it slowly diffuses the pressure that's built up inside of them. And so I would ask more and more questions until I feel as though they've fully elaborated on what they're feeling. And then once I feel like I have a good idea on the major issues that they presented, um, with their perceptions, then I would address those substantively, but not after, not until I've, I've taken the time to allow them to, to explain what they're feeling and what they see.
0: Okay. So it sounds like sort of no matter what the response is, you're curious. You're going to ask more about it. You're going to ask it in a tone that's very friendly just to be able to understand more. And and you're not going to focus on responding or trying to defend yourself. You're focused on trying to learn more about where they're coming from. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So hypo number two. Let's say now you're in the part of the mediation where parties are trading proposals, and so you've got a sense of the party's positions already. Now, let's say a mediation party communicates a proposal to you that you just know based on the other side's position they're not going to take. Like, let's say, you know, it's an offer of money that's like 10% of the other party's demand. So, in that sort of situation, how would you use compassionate curiosity? to help keep the mediation productive, help prevent the other side from getting angry at this proposal that's significantly less.
1: So in this situation, what I would do is I would say, I would repeat what they said to make sure that I understood it correctly. So using a technique called the empathy loop, and I do that to increase my level of understanding. So with the empathy loop, you first ask, um, you first say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm understanding you to, that, that you're saying blah, blah, blah. Is that right? And you give the other person the opportunity to either um, say you're you're correct or correct what you're saying. I do it for two reasons, like I said, increases understanding, but also it gives me time because <laughs> I can't think of all this stuff off the fly. I'm not that good as much as I would like to believe I am. So I need some time to think. And so, um, they reiterate what they said. And, um, so I say to my, so I say to them, okay, I can, based on what you've told me before, I can definitely understand why you're asking for that. Um, can you tell me what you think their response might possibly be to this? And so the goal here is instead, is um, to take the the substantive points that I want to say and turn them into a question because I want them to come to the conc- conclusion them th- themselves. I'm not going to say, "Listen, this is ridiculous." <laughs> Do you want to end this whole thing? That's not what I'm going to say. I want them to realize, okay, maybe maybe I should adjust my expectations. And so um, I would keep doing that until they until they move, or if they don't move, I'll say, okay. Well, I'll propose it to the other side. But just so you know, um, based on what I know on the other side, I know this might be difficult. So just keep in mind um, that there's a lot of give and take in these negotiations. So uh, you might need to come up with another proposal. But the initial response, again, give myself some time to think, then ask the question to, to get them to elaborate and adjust their expectations.
0: So it's almost sort of like trying to encourage them to use compassionate curiosity without really lecturing them on it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Okay, so final hypo. So now let's say uh, you're talking to a mediation participant. It's towards the end of the mediation. Maybe um, proposals have been exchanged, but parties have not been able to reach agreement yet. And one party tells you, you know, this mediation was just a complete waste of time. I can't believe I even did this. How would you use compassion and curiosity there?
1: So I would first affirm what they said. It's like, I, I can definitely understand why you're frustrated. It has been 18 hours and <laughs> we haven't <laughs> gotten anywhere. Um, but I would like, I'd, I'd like to say we were moving closer. We're closer than where we were at the beginning. So can you help me to understand what your goal was coming into this mediation? And so, again, I want them to be focused on the reason why they're here. Um, because at some point they thought it was worth coming here and investing, you know, one, two, three hours into the conversation. So I want to bring them back to that point where they're thinking productively about the situation. So the question I would ask is what what made you actually try this in the first place?
0: Okay, and it sounds like that's also sort of a reminder that, you know, mediation does not have to be completed start to finish all in one sitting. So, you know, if parties get to a point where maybe it looks like they're at impasse, if there's a chance to use compassionate curiosity to remind people about the process and how oftentimes in the process there is back and forth with proposals, it may take some time before parties ultimately decide to agree or not. Um, it sounds like compassionate curiosity is a way to sort of bring people back in believing in the process that, hey... Maybe this is where we're at today, but maybe if we try again tomorrow, things might be different.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And and that's the thing. That's the tricky thing about approaching conflict management in this way, because especially as mediators who have a lot of mediations under our belt, we've seen these similar patterns a lot of times. So it, we we know what we want to say. So it takes a second to think of a high level question because we first need to take the statement we want translated into a question to lead them there themselves. And so with the question that I'm asking, because I, I believe in the process, and I knew at one time that they did too, um, I want to make them aware of sunk costs. And so when you think about in uh, behavioral economics, when it comes to sunk cost fallacies, uh, people will value something highly simply because they've invested time or resources into it. And so if, even though somebody's frustrated toward the end of the process and they just want to walk away, if I ask a question that makes them cognizant of the time they've already invested, it will make them more likely to want to stay so that time that they've invested wasn't a complete waste.
0: Okay. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for for playing that game with us. So, um Different type of question, but can you tell us a fun fact about yourself?
1: (laughs) A fun fact about myself. Um, I wake up every morning and I do what I call negotiation exercises, which is trying to get my son dressed and ready to go (laughs) in a reasonable time. (laughs) And so um, that is my fun fact. Kai is two and he's been negotiating for about two years. So he he keeps me sharp.
0: I think uh, every parent of a little one can really. I know I can too, so... All right. Well, hey, Kwame, how can folks connect with you, uh, if they want to continue the conversation?
1: Sure. Yeah. Check out the podcast. It's called Negotiate Anything. Um, and, uh, also connect with me on LinkedIn. Everybody that reaches out to me on LinkedIn, I send a personal message. Um, no matter how long it takes, the message will come <laughs> eventually. So those are the two best places to reach me. The podcast, Negotiate Anything, and the, um, and LinkedIn. Oh, and you could check out the TED Talk too. Um that's on, it's not, I don't think it's on the TED website. Hopefully it gets there. That'd be cool, but it's definitely on YouTube. So if you, if you just Google Kwame Ted, it'll come up. <laughs> and also
0: on the uh, American Negotiation Institute website.
1: That's right. Yes. Thank you for helping me market myself. <laughs> I appreciate
0: it. <laughs> well, hey Kwame, this has been great fun today. I'm so glad you were able to to be on today's episode. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Meetups with Mediators. Let's make your next mediation
1: your best mediation. Talk to you next time.